we're going to go into our time of the scripture reading for today. It comes from Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. I tweaked it a little bit. Uh, I think it says 10 through 16 in the digital bulletin. We are going to deal with that part a little bit, but uh, I want to go back to the beginning of Joshua. So again, it's Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. We're going to be reading this in the ESV, uh, and we encourage you to find the scripture. If you have a Bible app or if you've got a Bible handy, we're also going to project it over here, um, and we'll give you a moment to do that. Again, it's Joshua chapter 1, verses 1 through 6. May the Lord bless the reading of God's word for us today. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses." From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Well, friends, uh, we have been going through uh, the sermon series, which is about how to build a firm foundation of faith. And we've been going through uh, the Bible to kind of pull out the themes that we find. We've been doing mostly the Old Testament to this point and trying to understand it from a new covenant perspective as a Christ follower. And maybe you've been wondering, maybe this thought has occurred to you, uh, this question, as we've been working our way through the Bible. Pastor Steve, why don't we just read the Bible and why don't we just obey it? You know, why why, why do you have to nuance it? Or why, why do you have to pull out themes, right? You know? And, and maybe if you have this question, isn't it just simple? Read the Bible, follow it. Well, uh, I actually heard of somebody who tried to do that. There was a reporter. His name is uh, A.J. Jacobs. And he tried to, for an entire year, uh, just live biblically, to take the Bible as literally as possible. And he wrote a book on it. Uh, it was called The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. And you can see from this picture, this is from the book, uh, that if you follow the Bible literally, it's going to be kind of weird. And you're going to look kind of weird. And here he's got like, like livestock, right? He's got like a sheep with them, you know? And one of the things that, that you quickly learn is that the Bible was written for a specific context that does not exist anymore. Now, that doesn't mean you can just ignore all of it. But if you don't understand the context in which it occurs and you just try to take it and apply it, you're going to come up with some weird things. And so actually, uh, CBS, I I believe, tried to make a a sitcom out of it a few years ago, 2017. Uh, It was called Living Biblically, and it was loosely based on the book. Not not scene for scene, but uh, you can look up uh, the trailer if you want. uh, And it's kind of funny. There's a scene that's actually in the book. where there's a coworker and he spots him at a restaurant with a woman who's not his wife. And so he suspects him of adultery. And I don't know if you guys know what in the Bible it says what you're supposed to do with adulterers, 
but he takes a tiny rock, <laughs> and in the middle of the restaurant, he throws it at his coworker and, and hits him with it. <laughs> and, you know, obviously it's a small rock, so, you know, he survives, but it's like, it, it's, it's hilarious, right? And weird, right? Can we say that? It's weird if you take these things out of context. And we know that as Christ followers, we have this sense in which Jesus is the fulfillment of all of the Old Testament. And so we have to understand where we are going with all of this. And I, I want to mention that uh, you, you know, that's something that, that I think is important for us to remember throughout this entire sermon series. But because we're going to talk about something today where literally wars have been fought over the, the passage that we just read, actually still, people are committing violence and killing people because of the way that they literally interpret what we are reading today. And so, I, you know, it, it, my interest is not to get into all the politics of it, you know, but I do want you to understand that there is a spirit of what we are reading, and there's a way for us to read it as New Testament people, right, that, that isn't just about, you know, uh, a, a completely literal reading all the time, especially when those things don't apply. Right, And so we have been interested, uh, as we've been talking about the law and as we've been talking about some of these scriptures that sometimes really don't seem to apply to us. I want you to remember that the whole goal is to become the people of God, to become people who our heart beats as God's heart does. We are able to do the will of God. We are able to be like Christ. We are able to be close to God and have a close relationship with God. Right, and, and I do think that today's passage, we will find some really cool things. You know, I want to assure you, you read this stuff and you're like, this seems like ancient history, but I th- do think there are the things that we can pull out. And so um, I do want to point out, you know, from the beginning, we are talking about the people of Israel who have been wandering in the des- desert. If you remember, right, they, they uh, were displaced from their home because there was a huge famine, and they were moved into Egypt. They were invited into Egypt, but then the Egyptians, after a few generations, started abusing them and made them slaves. And, and God uh, eventually freed them from uh, the power of Pharaoh, and, you know, Moses let, led his people out into the, the wilderness. But now they don't have a home. They're nomads, and they wander in the desert for 40 years, right? 40 years, they don't have a home. They just keep going around, and people have uh, tracked. It's kind of hilarious, actually, if you look at the map of where they went. I mean, it's just like, you know, just I just kind of hear like comical music as they're just wandering around, just, you know, and, and they never really stay in the same place, you know? And, and I think a lot in uh, especially that narrative is the longing to find home. So the promised land is about finding home. So um, as we read the passage, I want you to keep that in mind. So you don't just think that this is an antiquated story. But remember, it's about finding home. And I think we can all relate to that in some ways. So let's look at the passage here. Joshua chapter 1, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. And he's saying, now it's time. Now it's time to go into this promised land. Now, therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them. 
That's the promised land, a land that was promised to them, that God was going to give to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites to the great sea, toward the going down of the sun shall be your territory. So if you remember uh, Abraham, who is kind of the, the, the great father of faith, that he becomes that because he obeys God when God tells him to go. Go, I'm going to show you the land that, that I'm going to give you. And, and so he uproots his family in faith and he follows God's word. And God says to him, I am going to make you a great nation. And your descendants are going to be plentiful, right? And as this promise of becoming a great nation is unfolding, like obviously you have to have a place to have a great nation, Right? Increasingly, what happens is that God starts to reveal to the people, this is the actual land I'm going to give you, right? It, it, that we sometimes call the promised land, uh, the land of Canaan. And in many ways, they were kind of circling around it. They didn't go in, right? There, there were times where they were sending scouts in, into, uh, the, uh, into Canaan to kind of, you know, see, hey, are there people there? You know, what is this about? And, they don't quite go in uh, during Moses' life, but once Moses dies, now it's time. It's kind of interesting because this is a very topsy-turvy time. Right? This time where their leader, the one who led them out of Egypt miraculously, is gone. Maybe a lot of people had security in that. Maybe a lot of people were like, yo, Moses is... Uh, he's the emissary of God. Do you remember? We mentioned this before, but uh, in the Ten Commandments, you know, in the giving of the Ten Commandments, it, it ends with the people huddled in the darkness away from God, but Moses is there in the thick cloud of the presence of God. Moses is close to God. We are not. Moses gets the word of God. We do not. Moses does the miraculous. We just follow. Moses is faithful. By the way, he wasn't perfect, right? He made a lot of mistakes. But maybe for the people, they think, I think Moses is kind of the one who represents for us the presence, the blessing of God. And now they're going to go into a land that is hostile. There are people there who won't welcome them, who won't want to give them a place. You know, it was probably big enough that many people could live, but there's going to be people who are like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, uh-uh, no, you don't get to stay here, right? As you know, many, many bloody wars have been fought over this kind of thing. There would be enough land for everyone, but people are like, "Mm -mm, no, you can't come here. This is mine. This is my territory. Well, you're not using this right over here. Where are we going to stay? Not our problem. Get out, right? And so they're going into this very scary, uncertain thing without their leader. And maybe God did this by design. Maybe you relied so much on Moses, but now you're going to rely on me, and I am going to deliver this promise. Now, People do get really hung up with verse 4, and there's other passages in the Bible where it starts to delineate exactly what this land is, where it is, right? I'm not really interested in that. We're not in Palestine. We're not in the Middle East, right? Like, we, we, don't, we, we don't have a stake there. And honestly, I don't think for us as a New Testament, uh, as, as, you know, New Covenant people, that, you know, I, I don't want to make this about you know, the historical stakes and the actual geography. But this principle, I have a land for you. I do. You can trust that. I have a home for you. 
So again, this is about finding a place where, you know, it's going to be home, right? Do you, are you ever in a situation that's like really scary, you know, or, or a place where you're really stressed out? I, I mean, for kids sometimes, like if they get really scared, you know, and they're out somewhere or maybe they're, they're outside at night or something, and, and, you know, they might cry and say, I just want to go home, right? I mean, that, that, that's our cry. What is it about a home that is so special? That's what this is about. It is a promised home. I want to highlight some things here because I, I want you to see that this is a promise for us too. And I want you to think as we go through the different aspects of home, right? I am relating this to the promised land and the promised land story. So this really isn't about your physical home, right? But this is about the concept of home, the concept of home that God wants to give to his people here in this passage. And we're going to draw out some of the scripture that we find here in Judges and in other places. So the, the first aspect of home, and, and again, you know, I want you to see, is this something that your heart beats for too? And maybe you're like, okay, I have a place to stay, but I long for this too. So first aspect is home is a place of rest, right? It says, remember the word that Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you saying, this is verse 13, uh, that we didn't read, but a little bit, further down in the passage, saying, the Lord your God is providing you a place of rest and will give you this land. Have you ever been uh, like away from home for a while or, you know, maybe you're on vacation or staying at someone else's house? And sometimes you just can't rest the same way you can at home, right? You can't just kind of like let yourself down and be in your PJs and, you know, like, like in, in, when you're at your home, you're probably more comfortable than you are anywhere else, right? This is your home. This is your place where you can just kind of like, you know, let everything go, let everything down, you know? Sometimes when you're around other people or, or you're in someone else's place, you're like, this isn't my place. You feel a little unsettled, you know? And so maybe you don't sleep as well. You don't feel as rested. You don't feel relaxed, right? And, and so sometimes people will say like, hey, make yourself at home. Isn't that what we say to our friends? Right? Because we know the experience of not being at your home. It's not completely comfortable. But we do want them to rest. Make yourself at home. And this is what God wants to give to the people, a place where they can actually rest. Again, I know a lot of us, we have physical homes. But maybe you're a little bit tired. Maybe during this whole pandemic. You haven't slept well. Maybe there's a sense in which you don't feel settled. You're like, Pastor Steve, I kind of get it. The, the Israelites being nomads, feeling like this isn't their home, and they're just kind of wandering around, waiting to get to a place where they can finally just, ah, just rest. I know a lot of people feel like that in the pandemic. Right? We're just waiting. You know, it's, it, it was always like, like something just a few months away. You know, it was, first of all, it was like, okay, I remember when the pandemic started, it was like, okay, six, uh, you know, like, like, I think our schools, it was like two, three week break, right? And then the kids will be back in school. And that didn't really happen, right? And maybe for some people, like, like you would hear a lot of people, you know, they'd be like, oh, by Easter, it's going to be better. Ah, uh, okay, not by Easter, well, summer, definitely the summer. I know a lot of people, they would just postpone the plans till like, you know, August or something. You know, there's a lot of movies that were supposed to come out in the spring, and they're like, oh, now it's going to come out in July, because it'll be over by then. 
But then we get to the summer, we're like, okay, well, not yet. But maybe into the new year. Maybe, you know, once we get a vaccine. And then we get the vaccine, and we're like, okay, well, it's going to take a while to roll this out. We have limited supplies, and we have to have herd immunity and all this stuff. Maybe a few months down the road. Maybe some of y'all are just starting to get sick and tired. Man, I just want to rest. And I think God wants to give that to us. It may not be a physical location. It may not be an actual date that I can give you. But there is a place of rest for us. That is promised in this idea of a promised land. Um, Second concept, the second aspect of home, is home is a place where we can be bold and courageous. Maybe some of you are like, what? Pastor Steve, is this a little bit of a stretch? But let, let me try to convince you. First, in the scripture, it says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous. Now, I just want to take a little sidebar here to talk about the violence in the Old Testament. So remember, context is everything, right? Do you remember that Jesus, there was a scene where the, the, his disciples, they take out swords because the Romans are coming to arrest Jesus. And Peter takes the sword and cuts off a servant's ear. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. Put down your swords. Put them down. There are people who've written commentaries on that passage, and they talk about Jesus is telling all of us to put down our swords. The time for violence has ended. We're not going to fight that kind of battle. There was a time, the context is that the people are going into a situation where they will not be welcome. There will be people who kill them. And God defends them. Because he is trying to create a people. He wants them to survive, right? It was a completely different context back then. I'm not trying to smooth over all the rough edges of the Old Testament. Trust me, they're there. But it's very clear. You do not see Jesus leading people with swords. You do not see Jesus raising up a physical army to do violence. He was peaceful. He turned the other cheek, right? And so anyone, and believe me, they have throughout history, they take passages in the Old Testament and they're like, see, we have to smite our enemies. We have to defeat them. We have to destroy them. We have to kill them completely, like the Israelites. Friends, that's not your context, right? And so you do have to understand that, that it was about the people being courageous, going into a situation where they would be threatened where there would be foes, where there would be people who wanted to harm them, you know? And so this is the thing. When you are at home, you know, I'm not trying to stretch the metaphor too far, but if you think about it, you're probably bolder uh, at home than you are other places. Do you ever, like, sing out loud when you're at home? You don't care that anyone sees you. Maybe some of your choices of dress, you know, maybe it's just like you're, you're walking around in your underwear. You wouldn't do that in public, right? You probably wouldn't like, like, you know, sing out loud and, you know, to, to some song at the top of your lungs in public. But you can do that at home because you feel secure there. You can be bold, right? Actually, sometimes this works in the negative. There's a lot of people that will write things on their computers in the safety of their home behind the screen that you would never say in front of somebody, right? If you were actually there, but you have this illusion of safety. And so people are much bolder, right? When they are at home. 
You know, maybe for some of you during this pandemic, it's like like being at home, you know, there's some things that you would try at home that you wouldn't try in public. And in that sense, friends, if we are in a place where we are completely safe and secure and God is with us, there is a sense in which we can be bold and courageous. And again, you know, beyond just, you know, what home already affords you, there's probably still things that you're afraid to do. And again, you can't take your home with you. That's part of the problem. Okay, maybe you're, you're, you're feeling really bold at home, but going out into the real world, not feeling so brave anymore. And that's the problem. Some people just don't want to leave their houses because they're afraid. And we got to leave the house. There are things that, that are going to involve other people. Sometimes we, we feel safer at home because it just feels like we're the only ones there and our loved ones, you know? But when it involves other people, that's scary. That's uncertain. But can you bring that idea of being bold and courageous with you wherever you go? Probably there's many of us who want that. Maybe there's something that God has put on your heart, and you aren't willing to do it because you're afraid of failure. You're afraid of what people will think. You're afraid they'll laugh at you. Right? And maybe it's something actually really good and worthy. Maybe there's a way in which you want to work for the kingdom of God. You want to work for justice in this world. But we're like, hey, what can I do? You know, I'm scared. I'm not that brave. How do we get that sense of the boldness and the courage that God wanted for the people of Israel as they go into the promised land? I'm with you. I'm with you. That doesn't just need to be tied to home. It's something that we can have with us. The last aspect of home is home is our place of ultimate safety and sanctuary. It's the place where you feel the safest. This perhaps undergirds everything else that we've been talking about here. right? And and when it says, um, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. This is why we can do all these things. This is why we can rest. This is why we can be bold, because we're safe, right? Now, there's many people, uh, safety has become such an important thing for us, and safety has become an end to itself. I wanted to leave this one for the third one, not because it's necessarily the third one, but it does undergird the other stuff, but oftentimes we just stop at safety, you know? Like, God, you're, you're my refuge. I'm safe. Great. But we know we're called for more, right? There are many times people find refuge in church. I know there's a lot of people who find refuge in LGM. Sometimes people go to LGM because they feel comfortable here. They're like, sweet. I feel so safe here. And then that's it. We don't want to leave our safety. What if other people come and they don't feel safe? Are we going to be the people who can help them to feel safe? Are we going to be bold enough to do that? Right? There may be ways in which, you know, we, we, we can't really rest. You know, you're safe, but you're not rested. You ever feel that? Like, like you're, you're actually safe. No one's going to harm you. But there's a part of your heart that isn't able to just stop hustling, stop protecting, stop trying to be God, Right? Resting, I think, is an acknowledgement of the fact that there is a God who is in control 
And it's got to start with safety. In many ways, you aren't going to rest if you don't feel safe. Right? Anxiety is actually, um, it is the perception that there's a threat. It's a feeling that you are not safe. Right? And so in many ways, it is actually the first thing. Right? A lot of people say, you can't have you know, really good conversations in the workplace, really fruitful conversations, really honest conversations. You can't have people being bold and courageous without psychological safety. Right? In any environment. You know, there's a lot of people, uh, you know, maybe bosses and whatever who are like, hey, you can tell me the truth, but anytime someone speaks up, they feel ridiculed. They feel shamed. Someone gives them a glare. There's an uncomfortable silence. They don't feel safe. Right? Psychological safety, it's important to everything. There's a lot of people, uh, you know, there's kids who can't sleep at night because they don't feel safe. That's what the anxiety is. You're keeping one eye open because your body is like, there's a tiger in this room that's going to consume me. I know it may not be a tiger, but your body responds the same way as if there was somebody there trying to harm you, right? And so even if it's just a perception of that, or you can't even identify what is the thing you're afraid of, but a lot of people have been experiencing that. We don't have a name for it. We just call it anxiety, you know, but anxiety, it's just can be just this very amorphous general thing, this feeling of dis-ease, disease, dis-ease in this world where we cannot feel comfortable because we don't feel safe. Home is about providing that ultimate place of sanctuary. And it is because you've got a guardian. God, who is here with you. I'm with you, so you don't need to be afraid. You think they're powerful? I got more power. It is about the fact that you have a king who's in control and he is mighty and he is a warrior, right? Metaphorically, he's a warrior. And so there is nothing that can harm you and so you're safe, right? That's the concept of home. And so friends, you know, maybe you're like, Pastor Steve, you know, this is great, you know, but I still think they're kind of talking about a physical place. I want to show you um, when it talks about the promised land in the New Testament, this is Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8 through 10. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. This is the concept of the promised land. Go to the land, I'm going to send you, and I will make you a great nation, right? And he went, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. And so this is the thing. Abraham actually didn't get to experience the fullness of the promised land, not even just physically, geographically. He didn't even know the boundaries of that yet. That gets defined later. Oh, it's from here to here. You know, Abraham's just like, okay, God, I trust you that you are sending me to a place that I can call home. So I will go to that. So it wasn't an identified place. And so it says in verse 10, it really spells that out for us when it says, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. What are you talking about this city? This is where we start talking about the kingdom of God. I know we think we're talking about heaven, and it is that, but it's more than that. A city that has foundations, roots, security, grounding, right? Does that have to be a physical location? Or is that wherever God is with us, wherever the presence of God is, 
That is our inheritance. I want to show you that even for um, uh, the, the, the for Aaron, you know, for the priests. If you remember the the tribes of Israel, they're split into all these different tribes, and like, okay, you're going to be uh, this is your job, and this is the land you get, right? And and, and each tribe got a, got a job, right? Things they were supposed to do, and they got a, a, an allotment, a land. And, and a lot in the, the, the Old Testament, it actually spells it out. We read through those passages, and it's really boring. But when you read that, I hope you know that the heart is that God gives them a place. But then you get good old Aaron and the Levites, right, who are the priestly tribe. What, what, what are they supposed to do? Where are they supposed to go? And what it says is Roman, uh, Numbers 18.20, it says, And the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in their land. Wait, what? Yo, everyone else gets this nice piece of land. What about us? And he says, Neither shall you have any portion among them. I am your portion and your inheritance among the people of Israel. Do you read that and you're like, wah, wah, wah. Aaron doesn't get land. He just gets God. But see what God is saying. I am giving you something better. Everyone else gets a land. And they get this physical location where they can put up boundaries and fences and they can feel safe and they can feel comfortable. You are my people. You are my priests, and your place is going to be with me. Do you remember what the priests get? They get this ultimate honor and privilege. They get to enter the Holy of Holies. What was that? It was a place so holy. I mean, there's all these rituals of sacrifice and cleansing, right? Because it was thought that that was the actual presence of God. Inside the Holy of Holies, there was this the Ark of the Covenant, and on top of this chest was, it looked like cherubim's wings that were put together. And that was supposed to be what was called the mercy seat. It is a throne. It is a place where the people of Israel felt, believed that that is where God came to sit. And the, 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 the priests, they got to go once a year and be in the actual presence of God. Is there a place that is better than that. That's their inheritance, right? Is there a place that is safer than that? Is there a place that is more resting than that? Is there a place where you wouldn't feel like you could do anything? Anything was possible with God because God was right there and you were with God. This is where we are going. God doesn't want to just give you a place, a physical location, right? He wants to give you the heart of all of these things by his actual presence. He's bringing us closer and closer and closer to him. The law didn't quite do it because there were all these transgressions and there's all these ways that we understood the law where it wasn't this kind of closeness that God is trying to bring. The fulfillment of that is we become his people. Ultimate safety, ultimate comfort, ultimate rest. Does that make sense? And in that, friends, I do want to touch on the idea that it is a promised land. And in that is the idea that God keeps his promises. This is a big part of the passage. 
Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the, the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. You ever tell people, like, don't swear? Don't swear. Don't make a promise that you can't keep. Right? Because, you know, who are we? Who are we? God? Right? How do you know if you can keep that promise? You know, a lot of times, uh, husbands will do this with wives, wives with husbands, or, you know, boyfriends, girlfriends, girlfriends, boyfriends. Like, baby, I promise you, I will never leave you. I will always protect you. Will you? Always? You're finite. Can you make that promise? Who can make that promise? The promised land is about God being a promise keeper. And a lot of this, friends, why don't we feel this reality? Maybe you hear me talk about this, and on one hand, you're like, Pastor Steve, it sounds great. You know, I like it. You know, I like, I like where you're going with this. But if I'm being really honest, I would take the land. If I'm really being honest, I would take the money over this, this, this vague sense that God is with us. But I think it's because we don't fully understand God as a promise keeper. We don't fully trust God. You know, in some ways, you know, there's many of us who are like, God, I'm not even really sure you exist. So to trust that much that I am completely safe in your presence, I don't know how to do that. But what I want to show you, friends, is even if that's not your reality yet, that's where we want to go. That's the destination, the promised land where we know God as a promise keeper, where we have this closeness of God, where we are safe and secure and we can find ultimate rest and we can be bold and we can be courageous because we know that through and through in every fiber of your being. There's no doubt there. Right? Just know God is with you. What would that look like? You know, one one of the things that, um, you know, we 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 call this. We have a different word for this than the promised land uh, in the New Testament. It's the word that that Jesus uses for it over and over and over again. We're heard. We're told that this is what his gospel is about. Right. His gospel is not just about dying for sin so that you don't have to feel bad anymore, so that you don't get punished. That's not the gospel, not the fullness of the gospel, at least. It's a, it's a version of it. It's a part of it, right? But the fullness of it is the kingdom of God. That's this real promised land. It, it, it's not a physical location. It, it is not a temporal kingdom that will exist you know, for, for a certain number of years and they get toppled by another kingdom. It is an everlasting kingdom. It is something that can be within you and without you and in your community and in your family and in your life and in your nervous system, in your mental state of being. This idea that God is king, he reigns, and he is a promise keeper. He's powerful and he loves you and he's with you and he won't abandon you. Right? And there's so many things where, where uh, you know, Dallas Willard, I, I love what he says about this. He says that, that the kingdom of God, it, it's about believing that the universe is a perfectly safe place for you to be. You know, Dallas Willard, he did believe that there are some people who would still get persecuted. You know, he, he knows that throughout the history. There, there are people who would die for their faith. 
He's not talking just about physical safety, but this profound idea that not even death can separate us from God. Right? I talked about this before, but the fact you saw Christians who believe this reality, and they're like, what are you going to do, kill me? I get to be with Jesus, no big deal. Right? They absolutely were not afraid. Because they were completely safe. You know? That is the reality of the kingdom. And I want to get that in me, you know? That's what I want my Christian life, my, my spiritual formation, you know? Sometimes when I walk around in nature, this is one of the things for me, is that I start to experience the reality that all of this creation is cared for. And it goes, right? Sun comes up, sun comes down without my intervention. I've done nothing to care for these trees or these birds or these animals or the grass. And even when it looks like it's dead, it'll come to life again. And just being in that place where I don't need to hustle, I don't need to be in control, I don't need to, to, you know, be on guard, but I can just kind of like lean into that idea of it's all cared for. And there's something about that. They say you spend 20 minutes in nature, and it's, it's very, very calming. They say it's, it's, I mean, if you could bottle nature as a pill, it would be, uh, you know, the most effective medication for anxiety and stress, right? That's how good it is, right? The idea of the kingdom, you are safe and secure. This is why I do contemplative prayer, where I'm just being still. I just lay everything down. I don't need to think. I don't need to hustle. I don't need to do anything. I don't need to add value. I can just be, and it's okay. It's profoundly okay. And there's something in that that my nervous system just starts to calm down a little bit. I start to learn and, and just believe that I am safe. When I internalize scripture, when I read scripture about, you know, like Romans 8 that talks about there's nothing that can separate me from the love of Christ, love of God in Christ Jesus. And, and I start to internalize that reality and to believe that God is holding me. Even if the worst were to happen in this world, God is holding me. And I just dwell on that reality. I just chew on that reality. I just, just try to internalize that reality. Friends, I'm not telling you exactly how to do that. This, this passage, this sermon isn't about that. But I want you to see that this is where we're going. This is your inheritance. That you can know that here and now, right? Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth. On earth as it is in heaven. That reality of God being king, I want that in my heart, in my nervous system. Right? I, I just think it would be fitting. You know, because, because I know that there's so much in the Old Testament where the people are like, okay, okay, I want to be with God, but you know, we gotta do this kind of song and dance, you know, like like we we, we gotta make sure we 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 follow every law and we do all the sacrifices so that God will bless us, so that God will be with us. And remember, you know, Aaron and, and, and uh, his sons, the people who wouldn't get a physical inheritance. But their inheritance was this closeness, this intimacy that they would get with God, this proximity to God in the holiest of holies. And God speaks to, um, through, through Moses, to tell Aaron, I want you to speak a blessing over the people of Israel. 
And this blessing, I think, I mean, you know, it's in the Old Testament, it's in Numbers, but it's something that I think speaks to us now as Christ followers even more. Because we know that for all time, Jesus has died for our sins. He has fulfilled the covenant so that we can be close to God. Whoever believes in him, trusts in what Christ has done, that we shall not perish but have everlasting life. You're safe. You're safe. You are blessed, right? Which just means God has good intentions for you. God is trustworthy. God is a promise keeper. So I'm going to ask the praise team to come up. And this is going to be our prayer to close. It's going to be a song. We're going to close with this song. And the song is actually um, just puts to, to music uh, what we sometimes call the Aaronic blessing. So this is Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. So the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace, shalom, that sense of of, of safety, security, the rightness in this world. God give you shalom, the kingdom. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. You will put the name of the Lord, the presence of the Lord upon the people. I will be with them. You are blessed because my presence is here with you. You are blessed because my face is shining on you. I am for you, not against you for all time. Let's just take a moment to make this our closing prayer. And just soak in this reality, soak in this goodness. It is so good. Just, just you know, don't respond to it intellectually. Just sing it. Just let the words sink in. Let the blessings sink in. You know, uh, if you've seen the video where uh, they perform this, um, that, that, you know, they tell people to kind of outstretch their, their hands and to be in a posture of receiving, you know? And maybe you want to do that at home. Maybe that'll be something that helps you body and soul and spirit to soak in this blessing, to soak in the reality of the kingdom. You are safe. You are secure. God is with you. Let's sing this prayer together.